0: Hello, everybody. I'm so sorry I can't see you or hear you or respond to your questions or comments, but there we are. Um, Ich bin ein Berliner, probably the most famous German phrase in the English language, next to Vorsprung durch Technik. President Kennedy, Berlin, uh, just after the building of the Berlin Wall, early 1960s. When I say ich bin ein Berliner, I mean it slightly differently. I mean, I'm an Isaiah Berliner Uh, ever since I read the essays of the great English European thinker, uh, uh, liberal thinker, Isaiah Berlin in the early 1970s as a student, I've been a liberal, a lifelong liberal, very boring politics, no dramatic changes from left to right, just a liberal. But when I say liberal, I don't mean voting for the Lib Dems. I mean, small L liberal, liberal in a much broader sense. So if you think that individual liberty is probably the single most important political value, if you think that everyone everywhere in the world has an equal right and should have an equal opportunity to be free, to be authors of their own lives, and if you think liberal democracy is the worst possible political system, Apart from all the other systems that have been tried from time to time, you're probably a liberal, small level liberal. And of course, it follows from that there can be liberal conservatives, liberal social democrats as well as liberal liberals, and by the way, also illiberal liberals, but that's another story. Now it turns out with hindsight that the early 1970s was actually a good moment to set out as an English European liberal. When I first traveled to Europe in the 1960s, most European countries were still dictatorships. But starting in the early 1970s, across something like 30, 35 years, you had the most extraordinary spread of liberal democracy and uh, liberal systems. Starting in the former fascist dictatorships of Uh, uh, Spain, Portugal, Greece. Then, of course, in Central Europe, the story I witnessed and told in in The Magic Lantern, the Solidarity Movement in Poland, the great changes in Hungary, the fall of the Berlin Wall, then the magnificent Velvet Revolution. I'll never forget standing with Vaclav Havel and 300,000 other people in Wenceslas Square in Prague, shaking our keys like that. It doesn't look much on Zoom, particularly if you can't hear it, but I can tell you, if you have 300,000 people shaking their keys, it's an amazing sight. And then spreading across Central, Eastern, Southeastern Europe, country after country becoming democracy, Slobodan Milosevic being toppled in Serbia by the Serbian people, culminating in the Orange Revolution, in Ukraine in 2004, five. And at that point, it seemed quite realistic to think that liberal democracy would continue to spread. Uh, Turkey seemed to be going in the right direction from a liberal point of view. Hong Kong, Taiwan was just becoming a democracy. Even mainland China was moving in the right direction, India But then the tide never turns overnight. So in politics, so it took a few years, but somewhere between 2005 and 2010, the global tide turned against liberalism and liberal democracy. And ever since we faced what might almost be called a global anti-liberal counter-revolution. Xi Jinping's China, is now a neo-totalitarian regime, brutally repressive in an area like Xinjiang. Opponents of Vladimir Putin in Russia find themselves mysteriously poisoned or disappeared. Turkey is again a dictatorship under Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Inside the European Union, Hungary is no longer a democracy and in Poland, liberal democracy is very seriously being eroded. Precisely the two countries that led the way out from communist dictatorship towards liberal democracy are now leading the way uh, 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 away from liberal democracy. And even in our Brexit Britain, there have been moments of really serious challenge to liberal values and even to liberal democracy itself. And the question is, what should we liberals, liberals in the broadest sense, do about this? That's the subject of of my essay in Prospect uh, and to some extent of the book Free Speech. And my answer in two words is we must be self-critical fighters. So there's an old calumny about liberalism, which says that liberals are always weak, feeble, Uh, compromisers, appeasers, and trimmers. They never stand up and fight. In fact, there's an old joke that a liberal is someone who can't take their own side in an argument. Completely wrong. Liberalism at best is and has always been a fighting creed. And so the first thing we have to do is to fight. If someone denounces our independent judges as enemies of the people, a phrase, by the way, that descends from Robespierre by Joseph Stalin to the Daily Mail, we have to fight. If the government tries to prorogue parliament for five weeks at a crucial moment of national decision, we have to fight. If a French school teacher is brutally, brutally murdered simply because he showed a cartoon of the prophet Muhammad in a class on freedom of expression, we have to fight. And we have to do the same for the English school teacher who received death threats as a result of doing something similar and for other threats to free speech in our universities and elsewhere, fighting peacefully, of course. But we also have to be self-critical fighters. Self-criticism is one of the great strengths of of the Western intellectual tradition altogether, but particularly of the liberal, Tradition. Uh, the liberal tradition is one of constantly self-interrogating. It's a, an experimental philosophy. Uh, it's trial and error. And there's a lot that liberalism got wrong in the last 30 years. But let me just take one element and talk about it in, through the mouth of a great, brilliant French friend of mine, um, called Pierre Asner, Roman Jew- um, Romanian Jewish origin, um, lived in Paris, um, the favorite pupil of uh, Raymond Aron, short, bald, domed head, and brilliant. And Pierre, in 1991, quite early, wrote a wonderful article in which he said, as we celebrate the triumph of liberty and universality, and remember that was a moment of liberal triumph the early 1990s after the fall of the Berlin Wall, let us not forget the yearnings that led to nationalism and communism. And then he named those yearnings, the yearning for community and identity on the one side and for solidarity and equality on the other. And it seems to me that Pierre Asna there brilliantly identified the two areas, solidarity and equality, community and identity, where liberalism most badly fell down over the last 30 years, and therefore, if we want to renew and reform liberalism, where we have most to be done. Solidarity and equality is not just about economics. So we all know there are soaring levels of income and wealth inequality, particularly in the United States and Britain, and we have to do something about that, but it's also a cultural phenomenon. Great many people in many of our societies, Britain, America, Germany, Poland, France, just felt for too long that they were not even being seen by the liberal metropolitan elites in the big cities, that they were being ignored, and if seen, were being disrespected. Hillary Clinton, the basket of deplorables. So that when the Polish populists talk about the need for a redistribution of respect, I think they're absolutely right. That's exactly what we need. And I, I say this through slightly gritted teeth, but when the Johnson government here in Britain talks about leveling up, that's exactly right. That's exactly what liberals should want not leveling down, as happened in totalitarian systems, but leveling up so that everyone equally has the same life chances, the same chance of becoming authors of their own lives. And as for community and identity, we liberal internationalists, broadly speaking, cosmopolitan liberals, talked a huge amount about the international community we talked a lot about subnational communities defined by religion or ethnicity or locality or other orientation. We talked far too little about the national community. That was a great mistake. We actually left the national community to the nationalists and the populists. And we have to reclaim the national community, but reclaim it in a civic, inclusive way with a liberal patriotism. So those are just a couple of thoughts, solidarity, equality, community and identity, more on that in, in the books that Daisy mentioned, The Magic Lantern and Free Speech. But let me leave you with one last thought. You might looking around at this wave of anti-liberalism all around us be daunted and depressed particularly if you think that there's a superpower, China, which is a very illiberal but also very dynamic and rising superpower. And I haven't even talked about the climate emergency or about the great post-COVID challenges that my good friend Ian Goldin will be talking about in a moment. But let me just tell you that in the early 1970s, the world looked very dark too. The United States seemed to be in a complete mess after Vietnam and Watergate. Britain seemed to be in a complete mess, Um, a basket case. Many said irreversible decline. Um, Many thought the Soviet Union was gonna win the Cold War. Many books were published about the crisis of democracy as they are today. And out of understanding how deep that crisis was, Cave one of the most dynamic periods of liberal reform and liberal renewal. So if we face up to how deep the crisis of liberalism is today, we have a good chance of overcoming it. So please join me in being self-critical fighters for the liberal values so many of us hold dear. And our battle cry can come from Romain Roland, by Antonio Gramsci. Pessimism of the intellect optimism of the will.